You know what? Let's 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 pray over the word here before we go any further. I would love to love to do that. God, we we pray that you will help us to discern and to know um, your goodwill in all these matters. Um, might we be able to determine not only an, the understanding of the Holy Spirit speaking to us, but how to live that out as well? Might might we engage the Scripture in a, in a true way, with the goal to not just comprehend but to, to live out, to be so compelled by the, the, the passion of, of, of Christ that we embody this. And we don't, we don't let people escape from our presence without communicating what the Holy Spirit's told us to tell them in what action, whatever word or action that may be. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we're into this goddess here, we are here series. Um, this, this whole series exists because they, they've been sent back to rebuild the temple. Nehemiah's not far away where he's going to come and finish the walls. Uh, but this is a time where after Jerusalem had been and God's people had been enslaved because of their sin and the consequences of that, that they're now rebuilding back um, Jerusalem where God's presence is going to come and dwell or the ark's going to be, I mean, all of that stuff. And as they're building and as they're working and engaging in those things, um, we are walking with them through this. The, the whole focus of this and, and for these people is, is to build relationships through like relatable passions, practices, and places that help draws them closer to God, right? So, so like you run into another fisherman who, who loves to fish and immediately there's a connection, right? We call them points of commonality. Like, what do you love that I love? Now we're besties, right? And we're just going to talk about this forever. You have the limited edition Precious Moments King James Version doll. You know what? I do too. And you can only buy that in Tennessee on the 3rd of April. And I found it, right? And you just share those things, whatever it is, right? Do you have pets? I have pets too. And you start talking. I mean, there's just so many points of commonality. And a lot of times there are things in our past that we talk and reference on, you know, the, the decades that we lived through. And I'll remember this part about that decade. I remember when we did that. Or, and I remember life used to be this way. And we, we reminisce and we reference in order to, to draw people closer together. And certainly our past can be that. We can find moments of reflection. We can find um, places of peace in those. And I want to see how, I, I want to see in the scriptures and show you how, how the past starts showing itself in scriptures and, and what we can do about it. So let's, let's go to Ezra 14, chapter 4, verse 14 um, through 16 in the letter to King Artaxerxes. Remember, the context is um, people who don't love God are trying to stop people who do love God from doing anything that they can. Does that sound familiar at all? That's what's happening here. We've talked in the previous weeks of how they faced adversaries and adversities. They, they went against lies and just flat out made stuff up. And they went against just fake things in their life that they're writing to tell this King Artaxerxes to try to stop God's people from being godly. And that's really what it boils down to. Beyond the preference, beyond the level of this is how I was raised or think things should be done, it always comes down to that spiritual battle of, of evil trying to stop godly people. It always comes down to that, and that's what's happening here. So let's look at verses 14, 15, and 16. Now, um, and, and these, are, these are evil people writing against God's good people, just so you can have reference to what we're reading. Now, because we eat the salt of the palace, and it's not fitting for us to witness the king's dishonor, Therefore, we send and inform the king. Get ready for a gossip session right now. 
in order that search may be made in the book of records of your fathers. You will find in the book of records and learn that this city, Jerusalem they're talking about, is a rebellious city. It's hurtful to kings and, and provinces and, and that sedition was stirred up in it from old. That this is why the city was even laid waste. Verse 16, but we make known to the king that, that this, if this city is rebuilt and if its walls are finished, they're gonna have no possession in the province beyond the river. And what we're seeing here in this, in this passage and, and why this matters is because they're, they're taking the past of God's people and they're using it against them. They're, they're saying some truthful things. They're saying some things here that they were right. They were rebellious in their past and they were hurtful and seditious. They did stir things up. They were rebellious. You can read it in the Old Testament. That's why they are in the context that they're in. Also, just to give you a, a timeline understanding of their past, this is, this is ooh, I know we're in chapter 4, but times fast forward. So he's talking about things that took place like 100 years ago. Literally, it's 76 years from when the Jews returned to Jerusalem to King Artaxerxes taking power. So they're digging way back in the past, right? Like not just your past, but like grandparents' past and beyond. And they're rolling this up. Now, here's what I would say to you about this. Who we are, who they were, does not mean that's who we are now. And even that we have to stay that way, though that's what they were saying. They're unchanged for 75 years. Still rebellious, still seditious, still trying to turn things up. But just because you were that way in your past doesn't mean that's who you are now. And also doesn't mean that you have to stay that way. If for some reason you find yourself because God is sovereign. And when Jesus is Lord, the, the outcome is, is totally opposite. And that's what you're seeing in this passage. For, for those who, who pursue, and uh, let's just, let me get right to the one thing. I'll just do that. I'll, I'll build up to the, to the rest of the story later. When Jesus is Lord of your past, there's always hope for today. Amen. Now, I don't want you to hear what you shouldn't hear. Because when you put that word, when Jesus is Lord, some of you may think, well, that's okay. I don't need Jesus to be Lord of my past. I'll be Lord of my past. I, I'll be the one to determine that. that that's a fallacy, right? The the sovereignty of Christ, the, the superiority of him, him being greater than Moses and greater than all of the angels. Jesus is Lord of your past. But when you've not surrendered it to him, that's what we're talking about. Then you have no hope for today. But if you sit here as a Christian, if you're watching online or find this years from now when my beard's way more gray and you go, what do I do with my past? And how do I have any hope in that? I would say to you that Jesus must be the Lord. And how does Jesus become the Lord of your past? He's the Lord of you and all that you are. So like these guys, they could say whatever they want about your past. And you know what? It might be true. You may have been rebellious and hurtful and seditious against God. You may have stirred up things against God's people themselves. Talk to Paul. He could relate to that. But Christ says, when I am the Lord of your life, when you are mine, when you have confessed with your mouth, that I am Lord, that God raised me from the dead and I've saved your soul, then there's hope for today. But the converse is true. There is no hope. And what's happening here and what they're trying to do is imprison God's people because they, they're not embracing who they are. Now, they're not these people that they're saying. 
They've come back and they've committed themselves to God's will. In fact, the grandparents have passed it down to their parents and their parents pass it down to them. And they are now trying their very best to live for God because they know and they heard because their grandparents told them what happens when you don't follow God. You find yourself in slavery. You find yourself not free. The passions of this world and your flesh dictate you and, and take more from you than it ever promised to give. So they're like, look, let me tell you how to have hope in, in what you look back on your past. And man, the devil just loves to play the past card all the time, right? He's like, look at your yearbook picture. Goodness, why did you choose that hairstyle? No wonder the ozone layer is as it is. That's a lot of Aquanet coming up on there, right? And he just brings it back again and again and again. But that is not how the kingdom of God works. So we're not posing something out there where, where Jesus is only sovereign if you give him permission. No, he's sovereign. We're talking about the outcome. For those who do not gladly submit themselves to Christ, they will find both um, suffering and, and pain that it could have been avoided, but also a life that is lived unfulfilled and hopeless without him. So it doesn't matter what's in your past. There's a way through this, but that's what they're trying to do here. In fact, let's just... Let's look at what the Bible has to say about this and what Christ can do in your life if you, if you would submit to him and, and live as if you have. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, um, verses 7 and 8. You're going to see yourself in this verse in a new way that you probably have never thought of yourself as. It's going to be good. And you'll be like, what? Uh, verse 7. So cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. There it is, right? <laughs> like you don't see that in, on T-shirts. I'm a lump for Jesus. Just a lump. I don't know. I, I guess here in the South, I'm a... I'm a pastry for Jesus, right? Chicken and pastry, yeah. But, that, but that's what you are. He wants you to be a new lump. The lump gets elevated in Christ. Only God can elevate the lump, and he does here. So would you all be a new lump as you were unleavened? For, for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Verse 8, let us therefore celebrate the festival, not the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, which is what is trying to happen in Ezra, but instead with the unleavened bread of what? Sincerity and truth. This is how we have hope for today, regardless of how our past is, regardless of what takes place. And, and it's very clear. Only Christ can do this for you. Hope doesn't come through manning up and just willing your way through something. Hope doesn't come from just type Aing everything and go, I am control freaking this. Or type being in and just being like, you know what? What will be will be. No way. No way. Even the ants don't do that. The birds of the field don't live that way. Even the sloth doesn't live that way as an animal. So when we look at these and the truth that it takes place, it goes, look, it's time to lump up. And get that leaven out and come in the sincerity of truth. Because your past can be used against you all the time. Evil, hurtful in evil ways. But we find our way through. So, so when we talk about Christ, let me give some context to help us better flesh out putting our hope today in Christ as it relates to our past. Jesus must, it has to be him and him alone, must reconcile us to God in order to overcome the penalties of our trespasses. You, your, 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 your past is something that is full of all this. I mean, you're looking at this, and look, verse 15, not a lie. They really were rebellious and hurtful and seditious. They really were all of these things from old. And when he goes back and reads those books, and those accounts of the Babylonian and Persian Empire, he's going to find that to be absolutely true. But it's not who they are. 
Why? Because God dwells among them. He is there in their presence. They are offering the sacrifices and they are, they are following and they are finding the forgiveness and the, and the free will offerings that comes from that. And we in the fullness of grace, in this age of grace, the age of the church, we know that we don't have to pay that penalty because what? Christ has. So we see all that past. We see all those mistakes or all that good stuff, which you can't live off, right? Don't, don't live off the awesome 80s that you had as a Christian and go, well, there's, those are my best decades, so I'm just going to live off that and not really worry about being a Christian ever. I just hit the pause button. That is the same problem. You can be enamored by how well things used to be and never realize how great they can be now in the hardship of the world in which we live. So in this context, he's like, look, let me say this. In fact, I would, I would just take you to 2 Corinthians 5.19. Again, man, we're just, the Corinthian church has been so good for us so far. And, and Ezra and the Ephesians, right? This is just happening for humanity forever. Um, and it says this, that is, in Christ, God was what? Reconciling the world to himself. Not the mud ball that floats in the cosmos, but when the world, the nations. Who the nations? You, those who live in Hampstead and Sneeds Ferry and all over Surf City in this world. He's reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us, what? The message of reconciliation. This is a message in Ezra of condemnation. No way they're going to change. There's no way they can ever be different because they were that way. And in fact, it's not even them, but it's because their grandparents were that way. Could you imagine that? Just stuck in this sort of endless made up generational curse that you can never break out of. Because they were that way, so now you have to be. And then Christ kicks down the door and says, that is not how it works. God bless you for a thousand generations because of someone's faithfulness. So when you get to heaven, you're going to have to find your thousand before you generation grandparents and say, thank you for loving Jesus. Thank you for living for him. Thank you for following God. Because the good things that came were part of out of that blessing of those living. That's why the family of God is such a good, true analogy that God chooses for us because we're so interconnected. So he's talking about this reconciliation and he's talking about this past in order to help us to understand how we have hope for today when this past starts to creep up on us. And remember verse 15, it says what? They were laid to waste and it's true, man. Their past decimated them. And so much so that their past rippled out on others and others had been suffering because of that. There were kids who never knew Jerusalem because they were born in Babylon because of the slavery that their parents were in because of ultimately that existed because of their sin. But God says, here's a way out. Christ is a way through. Now, the hope of reconciliation comes when you are reconciled what? If it says that it's by God through Christ, then you must be saved. Like it's not an option. There isn't a back door to heaven There isn't another sort of side entrance or underground tunnel that you're going to be able to sneak in in eternity and pop out and go, ah, I made it. They can't kick me out now because they're all God people and they love all the time. No, the only way in for hope is through Jesus Christ. It's the only way to really be set free from your past, no matter how good or how bad it was. And some people have so many blessings, right? Not everybody's Job. Sometimes the devil tries to go the Solomon route. Let me just inundate them with so much good stuff that they'll never look at God. Even Jesus says that, right? Man, woe to the rich man. Be easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for that guy to get into heaven because his life is so, quote unquote, good. His past had come to enslave him. 
So Christ has received the free gift of grace in Jesus through the Holy Spirit and be reconciled. No matter how good you think your past is or how bad you think it was, you should come to Christ and find that salvation and be truly free. And that's how we have hope for today. And not just for us as individuals, but, but also for our homes, for our schools, for our cities and our nation. The hope comes from what? In Christ, because he's the one who gives it. Okay, you can keep moving on. Verse, verse 15, this is what's really cool about verse 15. Uh, and I want to bring this clarity out. Um, our past can certainly clarify. That's what's happening here in verse 15. Our past can clarify, but it doesn't always quantify who we are, right? Like you, you are in Christ so much more than you were without him. In fact, as Christians, we know that we were once before Christ no good and old, but we are now made new. In fact, in verse 15, it uses that word old. He's like, go back way old. Don't talk to anybody now and see how they're living faithfully, but go back to that. And verse 15 shows us that, yeah, the past is going to kind of help people understand you more, but it doesn't embody all that you are now. Why? Because we grow and we change and we mature. At least hopefully we do. We give a better awareness and those blind spots go away because of Christ. So in all of this, verse 15 is helping us to see that good truth because you're reading it in context. You know they're trying to use things against them and go, yeah, that was once true, but it's not now. Why? Because in Ezra, they had committed themselves to God and he was redeeming them and rewriting for them and helping them to live in a way that maybe in the past they had not lived, which we know that they didn't. And that Christ can change everything and he's the one that does I'm going to take you to a good example in Scripture, Mark 16, 1. That is a really good example of this good truth that our past doesn't always quantify and um, explain who we are now uh, because of what Jesus can do. So this is great. So when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus, then Salome, who was the mother of James and John, brought spices so they might go in and anoint him. So what's happening here? In this context, him is Jesus. So it's Sunday morning. These ladies were, were at the cross. They, they stood there with, with John the disciple, and they, they looked up, and they saw Jesus die. The, the Sabbath takes place on Saturday. They can't do any of that good work. They had all their spices together. They wake up Sunday morning, Easter, as we celebrate it, resurrection, and go, it, it's time to tend to the dead Jesus. But what does Jesus know? Man, that tomb is straight up empty, vacancy. No one's inside, but their past tells them what? Even their immediate past, that he is dead. He's gone. They, they, they saw that, but what's Christ do? A miracle. He brings about redemption, and he, he provides this way for them to go, look, I know in your past, even in the immediate or way back, you think it's this way, but when Christ gets a hold of it, it's not. So they go to anoint him. They, they run into him. They, they, they find this experience, and they're like, look, he's not here. These two angels show up, gleaming white. They have this stage of intercourse. They start running back, and they start telling, him. they're like, look, here's what's happening. Christ isn't there. Mark 16.1 is a great example of how you can be living your days and be so caught in the past that you could literally miss the miracle that the Messiah is doing. I mean, Jesus shows up to Mary Magdalene and they start talking. She thinks he's a gardener, right? That might be super awkward in heaven right now. My bad, Jesus. I thought you were the lawn's keeper, right? 
Then he says her name, and she's like, Christ, right? Little cut tears and touch and things like, don't touch her. I haven't said it yet. Right? All that takes place. So we need Christ to bring the clarity and the hope. And, and you want to talk about a, a, a bunch of dejected, hopeless people. Like it was only the, the women that had the fortitude to go. And then even when they go back, every gospel accounts that the men didn't even believe them. It was idle talk or salon gossip that they're just making up. He's risen. Yeah, whatever. Too much drink early in the morning, right? And they're like, no, look, here's the deal. And, and we'll have things so much in our past that it, that it kills us and imprisons us. And we're like, man, not even a resurrected Jesus could possibly happen in my life. And Christ's like, when I saved you, I saved all of you. When I came into my life, I gave you hope in, in every arena. I rewrite your past. I'm going to rewrite your future. You're going to be able to use all of that stuff in order for you to help others. So what do they do? In God's eternal word, we have forever listed that these three ladies were bringing spices because they did not believe that Jesus was resurrected. Because if Jesus resurrected, you're not bringing spices for a funeral burial. You're bringing what? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh at least. Because he's risen. Man, what happens when we give him Christ? So, so how can our past be used in a good way to help ourselves and others? Because that's what Jesus is using. He's, he's using their past in such a good way going, look, you guys saw me die. You were there. But look at me now. I'm not dead. And they're like, you're right. He's risen. He's risen. We tell our story. We tell a story of what we once were before Christ and now see in Jesus. Think about those ladies coming back in, in Mark 16. And they're like, look, Jesus and they're like, no, 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 he's not. There's no way. And they're like, look, we were there. We saw him die on the cross. We met him there. The angels told us. You can't refute that. Even in our culture, as, as twisted and sort of leaning as it is, still we hold on to that, that fact of a, at least a person can speak for themselves of what they know to be true, Right? So you tell your story, just like Jesus did. I'm alive. The angels, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Great question. You're not going to find risen Jesus in a cemetery. You're going to find him on a throne. Or in that case, ministering and, and showing himself to people. So when it comes to your past and helping others and, and, and to use that in such a good way, that's what you do. You, you tell your story. Yeah, I, I was once this. I was once, verse 15. And then verse 16 kicked in in Ezra chapter 4. And I was rebuilt and I was finished. I was rebuilt and I was finished. In verse 16, that's what we see, man. I've, I've highlighted it under those two words, rebuild and finish, right? We're making it known to the king that if this city is rebuilt and the walls are finished, then they'll have no possession in the province beyond the river. Well, you know what? If you're a Christian, you've been rebuilt and you're finished in your Christ. Amen? You are that. You have been completed in these things. It's, it, it's exactly what God wants and has for you in these verses. And that's what they see, a, a work in progress, which is okay to be. You know that, right? If you're heading to more maturity and more Christ-likeness and you stumble and fall and you carry the scrapes and the wounds of, of that journey, then that's what people will see and be like, all right, I get it. You're not perfect as Christ is perfect, but you're striving to live out that completion of being finished, that you're on that journey. And you know what? It's gonna encourage other people that have similar scars and wounds and have fallen down too. You're gonna, God's going to use that and transform that to help others to find the freedom in Christ that you have now found and know to be true. And in verse 16, that's what's happening only in Christ. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, um, 17 through 8. You're, gonna, you're just going to know these verses. I know you are. 
because we, we know them. I mean, we hear them all. We say them to ourselves in the midst of temptation, as we should. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's what? A new creation, right? The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Verse 18, and all of this is from where? From God, right? Who through Christ reconciled himself to us and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And the problem is, the challenge is in all of this is that, that your flesh, um, evil people, just like we see in Ezra chapter 4, or maybe even in, in your life, or those who don't even love God, they may say they're good people, they want to keep you from that part of the ministry of reconciliation. They want you to just sit in your past. They want you to have no hope for today. Because how could someone like us become anything more than we are by ourselves? And the answer is you can't. It's only Christ doing the good work, which we see here, right? All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and then gives us a ministry of reconciliation, which is the ministry of what? Man, you better tell other people where the life jackets are. That place is going down. Here's the extra parachutes for the plane. You struggling with this addiction? You've got this hurt, this habit, this hang-up that, that is just part of your past? Here's the ministry of reconciliation. It's Christ at work. It's the power to overcome in him. He's the one who wins the day and gives you the strength to overcome the temptation so it doesn't grow to sin. Or offers forgiveness when you find yourself on the other side looking going, dang it, that, became, that did become sin. And where do I find that forgiveness? In Christ. And that's for Christians too, right? Once you're saved, does it mean you're not going to struggle anymore? In fact, in some ways, it's going to feel like you struggle more. Because all of a sudden, you're on the devil's radar. And everybody else knows you are sealed by the Holy Spirit. You're going to spend heaven there. And he wants to come after you in those things. So what's a great way to, to move through and on from a hurtful past? Or move through and on from a past which was so enriched, we thought we didn't even need Christ. It's to help others. It's 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 18. Christian or not, to move them towards reconciliation in Christ. Because the past is used. It was that way, and it's, it's not the right way to do things anymore. Or it is the only way we need to do that. We come to Christ in these ways, in this moment, in order for them to know when Jesus is Lord of your past, there's always hope for today. A place of remembrance that we return to and go, look what God did. And in the world, they're going to do what's happening here in Ezra. They're going to go back to the places of remembrance and try to use it against God's people. But in the kingdom of God, the places are used as remembrance for what? To remind him of his goodness. The cross isn't here because I love the letter T. And that's why I want to put it up, right? Like, I just love T. The letter T is awesome. Let's put, I don't, it's not there. It's there as a reminder. What's the symbol of the altar represents is before us to be able to come kneel and pray. As they did for thousands of years in the Old Testament to come and kneel. And then in the Old Testament, when that transition takes place, where they what? Knelt at the feet of Jesus and praised him for being risen and found forgiveness around campfires for their sins. We have altars. We have this. We go through communion. We've already talked through that. Those remembrance of, of who Christ is. How do people, find, and you can, just, you can see it in Scripture all the time, and Jesus takes them through in the New Testament and in the Old. Jesus takes them through. This is the path of reconciliation. This is the way that we have hope for today. 
So how are we going to give people hope? We introduce them to Jesus Christ. We as Christians know we exist to bring God glory and make disciples. It doesn't matter what job you have, your relational status or lack thereof. It doesn't matter where you find yourself that this is why you were created at your foundation and at your core, to bring God praise and credit and then to make disciples and help others do the same. That's, that's the goal. That's the point. So wherever God's infinite creativity lies for you to do those things in your occupation, your vocation, your profession, or your whatever, retired or semi-retired, wherever you find yourself, that's the goal. And hope in Jesus for today is an important aspect to why we exist. I, I hope, I hope that we can sing songs of praise of the things in past like they did in Psalms where God redeemed them. In fact, I, I, I feel like that's really going to be in Scripture a, a part of our eternity. In fact, we do it even now. To say, God, look, look how you saved me. Look how you saved us through Christ. And we were all this hot mess, but you made it right. And we're going to praise you for 10,000 years and sing to you for that. Right? We're going to sing for what you did in the 70s, in the 60s, in the 1950s. We're going to sing for what you did, if you tarry, in the, in, the two, uh, in the 2020s, in the 2030s, in the 2040s. To just praise them and go, look at all that you did in that past so that we could find ourselves here. And not one person will ever utter a chorus or a verse or a bridge or a tag to a song where they're so great that they did it. But instead, it will always be about what God did through Christ. Your past, look, if Jesus can take death and redeem him as a friend for Christians, then he can certainly handle anything in your past, anything in your past. Because when I die, I'm gonna blow by death as I'm on my way to Jesus. And in a weep, ugly face, snotty cry, neck hug Jesus as long as I can, praising his name forever. And probably have to fight you to do that. <laughs> Hopefully. That's what I'm hoping for, right? So uh, based on this message, what can we do to become more like Jesus? Because that's the goal, right? The goal isn't to talk about hope. The, the goal is what? To have it, right? Or do you want me to just talk about it? Hey, I've got hope. Too bad for you. Right? So nice. Bless your little hearts. Go hopeless. No, it's to have it. Now let's talk about your worship. Your worship, your, your Jesus-centered daily worship. You've got to give yourself past, present, and future to Jesus. To have any hope in this life or the next, you must devote yourself to Christ. You must be saved. And then commit yourself completely and wholly to who he is. And all of your misunderstandings and the myths that you have. And to just dive in and go, I am in glad submission to who you are. To give yourself to him and become a child of God. And if you are, remember that you are. Right? It's all of your past done. And you talked about the future. That's going to be a later message. Present and the future. And you're good. You're, you're not good as in good on, but it's settled. It's finished. Right? Being rebuilt and finished. As Christ said on the cross. When you're out in a community like with other people, no matter who they are, right? If you lived in Ezra's time and ran into these people that wrote the letter, what could you do there? Live like the past has been put to rest. As a Christian, your past has been redeemed and your forever is set. So now your past is a tool to be used, a, a testimony to be shared, a grace story to engage others so that they might find the same freedom. Because Every generation must find its way through to Christ. No one gets in. Um, I heard one uh, minister say that um, God doesn't have any grandchildren. 
Nobody gets in because of their grandparents. He's got kids. And they've all got to come through the saved by grace, through faith, through no works of their own adoption of Jesus Christ. So I would encourage you in community to live like your past has been put to rest. To no longer have to hide it or flaunt it like that's why you're so good, but instead to live that way. Here's a great way to serve others. A great way to serve others. Help others to be set free from past pain by helping them to put their hope in Jesus today. When the letter, letter finally made its way around to Jerusalem, there was some splaining that had to happen. Mom, is this true? Were we really at one time this rebellious and seditious? Was it really this way? I can even see that with my own kids as they grow up and, and as they mature to just to help them to understand the truth of following Jesus Christ and the importance of the commitment there. So we help others to be set free. And how do we do that? It's in Jesus Christ. He delivers, he saves, he redeems, and you help that to come out. That's their way forward and through. That's where hope really lies, in him, in him. And finally, multiplication. You have to kind of read this in first person, the first part that's in yellow. You want to read this in first person, it makes more sense. Um, Invite them to come and see that Jesus is the future for me. Take the time to build relationships because that's the biblical context for giving hope. That's what you see. I mean, how many thousands of years has God put up with us? And I say that lovingly, right? I mean, just how many thousands and thousands of years has he gone through this? He builds the relationship. The biblical context is that for giving hope. And is not one of the quickest ways for someone to receive hope is if it's given from someone who loves them and is in some sort of relationship to them? To someone who says, look, I'm, I'm open and I share, and we have shared experiences, and we're, we're living life together, and we understand how this works. So, so here's what I'm going to give you hope. I'm going to invite you to come and see that Jesus is my future because you're living now on the same planet and in the same town and going through the same things, but the outcomes can be completely different, certainly in eternity, but definitely also now with how we work and how we engage. So I'd encourage you to invite them to come and see, which means you're going to have to put Jesus in front of them. They're not just going to osmosis know it, right? Like, was that Christian music on your radio when we were riding in the car? And all of a sudden, they know all about Jesus. No, they're, they're going to need you to tell them and to show them and to lead them. And them is your neighbors or anyone who lives in your house that doesn't know that truth or your coworkers or fellow worshipers, even in this room or online. It's those folks which we do. So now let me show you the one thing one last time. One thing, one last time. To have hope for the day when Jesus is Lord of your past, there's always hope for today. And it's just, it's the springboard, right? So it's like, oh, my past, my past, my past. You just go, hey, look, it, it, it's you. Christ is coming after you. His, his, his salvation, his desire, he pursues, he runs after, he goes after, he, he, he died so that you might be able to receive the grace that he offers so freely. So we give hope to people and we help them to find that. And we share our past. Or like this, we share the past of people in Ezra and go, look, I get it. We've all got things that we don't want people to discover in our past about us. Uh, I understand that. But Christ has redeemed that. And the Holy Spirit will absolutely use that to help others. And what other God can do that? None. 
Who else would take the worst in your life and not use it against you? Very few. You could probably count them on two fingers, right? All the people that want me three, God, Jesus, Holy Spirit. I mean, it's just the way it is. And we serve a God as Christians who is that way. Bring me all your weariness. Bring me all your burden. Bring me all your worry. Bring me all the riches you think that you have and the ease of life that you've got. And look what I can do. We'll give you something eternal that a moth's not going to destroy, that rust isn't going to get to. Man, amen, rust living on the coast, right? Rust gets everything. Or a thief's going to break in and steal. We'll give you hope for today.